Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The new U.S. Defense Secretary, retired General Lloyd Austin, reached his office at the Pentagon two days after President Joe Biden's inauguration. He immediately had two intelligence briefings, first on China and then on the Middle East. Subsequently, he started calling colleagues around the world, starting with the Secretary General of NATO, Jens Stoltenberg, then the British Defense Secretary, Ben Wallace, the Japanese one, and their South Korean counterpart. All the while, Israel and the rest of the Middle East had to wait their turn. It signaled the order of priorities for this fresh administration in Washington, D.C., NATO, and East Asia first. What does that mean for the Washington-Jerusalem relationship? As the region awaits the setup of the entire Biden team and its policy initiatives vis-a-vis Iran and elsewhere, to discuss the many questions that remain, joining us from Washington, D.C. is Mr. Robert Silverman, who is a lecturer at Shalem College and a former president of the American Foreign Service Association. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Also joining us from Central Israel is Ambassador Dania Elon, who is Israel's former ambassador to the United States and deputy foreign minister, as well as co-host of TV7's Middle East Review. Thank you for joining us as well. My pleasure. And with me in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of TV7's Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding of where are the current state of affairs when it comes to the Biden administration versus the region and Israel in particular? Well, officially, of course, the transition is over. Uh, President Trump has left the building. And uh, President Biden is now occupying it. And there's um, a sense of uh, a fresh beginning. But um, if you look at substance, then the transition is not yet over because uh, not all of the uh, nominees uh, have been approved yet uh, by the Senate. Uh, They are yet uh, to uh, get to their offices. There are acting secretaries uh, here and there. And more importantly, the agenda is not yet foreign. It's uh, COVID-19, which is uh, uh, the president's main challenge for the first 100 days. He wants to issue 100 100 million vaccines for for 100 million Americans uh, in the uh, first 100 days. It's an awesome uh, burden. Then, of course, he has the uh, uh, Trump impeachment trial in the Senate to take care of the nominations um, and getting started. And while he's doing that, uh, he has a lot uh, on his plate uh, globally, including the Middle East. The only um, move which we have seen up to now was uh, earlier in the week, the uh, journey by uh, General Frank McKenzie, the commanding general of the Central Command, which now includes Israel, in addition to Iran, Iraq, Egypt, Syria, Jordan, and a lot of other countries. And on his way over, uh, General McKenzie uh, expressed some optimism regarding the renewed negotiations with Iran, He didn't get into 
specifics, but he did say that um, during the uh, outgoing administration's last weeks uh, and days in office, the Iranians were restrained, did not provoke anything, did not want any escalation, and General McKenzie sees it as uh, a good uh, sign for a fresh beginning. Um, he also uh, announced that Saudi Arabia is giving the uh, U.S. armed forces broader access to its uh, infrastructure. So that would uh, reassure uh, countries in the region, Saudi Arabia itself, the Emirates, and perhaps even Israel, that if uh, war does come with Iran, the United States will be better prepared. When you're talking about restraint, of course, it's relative in uh, comparison to other times because, of course, we saw still Iranian convoys entering Syria from Iraq, uh, the various uh, uh, strikes by unidentified aircraft that were, of course, also attributed to Israeli Air Force, uh, targeting Iranian targets and infrastructure in Syria. So it, it seems like uh, things continue. Because of the great concern, uh, during the first uh, couple of weeks of the month of January, the fact that nothing happened is a cause for relief. Indeed. Well, uh, I'd like to ask Mr. Silverman, what should we read into the, the list of phone calls made by uh, the Defense Secretary of the United States, uh, Austin, uh, with regard to uh, the the upcoming engagement of the United States uh, with regard to Israel and the region in general? Well, I think he is doing the uh, campaign promises of uh, President Biden and his team that they want to uh, restore relations with America's traditional allies. So that means a real focus on NATO allies um, in Western Europe, see a push, I believe, to get closer to them, consult more with them about uh, shared problems, one of which is the Middle East, another is China, a third. So I, I, I think those list of phone calls reflects that, um, that, that sense of conversation. Indeed. Uh, Ambassador Ayalon, same question to you. Uh, and uh, beyond that, is Israel concerned about the, the priority lists of uh, the United States and the indications with regard to the region? Well, I think this is, you know, yet to be seen. Of course, Israel is very uh, cautiously looking ahead, uh, first of all, because of the nominations uh, that probably will be approved soon. But uh, if you look at the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, and his deputy, uh, Wendy Sherman, uh, Jake Sullivan, in the... Uh, the National Security Advisor, and I believe the latest appointment was of Rob Malley as a, uh, emissary to Iran. These are all friendly uh, faces for the Iranians, which may give them, I would say, the wrong uh, um, idea that uh, they can get back into the JCPOA without giving any uh, concessions. I hope this is not the case, because what I understood um, from uh, different talks, especially from uh, uh, around the Blinken uh, um, surroundings, is that uh, this uh, it's going, not going to be an automatic resumption of the JCPOA, and there are going to be some conditions that uh, the Iranians will have to, uh, to comply with. 
but uh, the administration will be ill-advised if they would go only with a uh, rapprochement with Iran without showing some muscles. And to that effect, I think uh, uh, more access to um, the um, air, the um, territory, aerial territory and space uh, of uh, Saudi Arabia. And of course, uh, um, I would say strengthening uh, the, the, the relationship and um, bolstering the presence in Qatar, Bahrain and, and Kuwait. And the uh, very inclusion, which was one of the last things that was actually uh, done by the Trump administration, the very uh, fact of the inclusion of Israel with CENTCOM, I think is also a great uh, addition. And today, as we see eye to eye with all the Sunni Arab uh, countries in the Gulf and even beyond, like Egypt and, and Jordan, I think all these are giving the uh, administration uh, good cards to work with against uh, uh, Iran if they choose to do so. And this is the big question. That said, of course, Mr. Oren, when we're talking about uh, the United States, we see the list, uh, Japan, South Korea, the United Kingdom, NATO, they're all allies of the United States on the Defense Department. Israel, however, is a unique partner rather than an ally, and it's also classified that way in light of uh, its refusal to sign a defense pact with the United States. Uh, to what degree is this a signal of our priority list is allies first, unique partners then, we're talking about partners, and then let's talk about the rest? Or, or is there something that I'm misreading over here? Well, Israel is a major non-NATO ally, much like Japan, South Korea, and Australia, and Singapore too. Um, but uh, Israel is involved in an election campaign. And um, this is almost uh, exactly a year uh, after President Trump uh, had the same problem, which he solved by inviting both Prime Minister Netanyahu and his then main contender, General Benny Gantz, uh, to Washington for the unveiling of the uh, Trump vision for peace. Uh, and he made sure that uh, Netanyahu would, net, would not get any uh, preferred treatment, or at least not uh, a marked one. Um, they were almost equals, but Netanyahu was more equal than Gantz. But nevertheless, Trump did not want to be perceived in Israel as helping Netanyahu in his election campaign. Biden is now facing a similar uh, question. And uh, he obviously knows the scene. His uh, associates, uh, as was mentioned here, know Israel uh, very well. He also listens, listens to former ambassador Daniel Shapiro, who uh, uh, has been living in Israel ever since uh, he left his post uh, four years ago. And there is no rush on uh, Biden's part. He doesn't have uh, to invite Netanyahu right now or to call him up. Um, there was a call between the national security advisors of both administrations, but this is pro forma. Uh, this is just uh, uh, to say hello and uh, to say that sometime in the future uh, they will meet. Uh, it's a Even though the, the official statement did indicate by uh, Meir Ben Shabbat that the uh, conversation also included the subject of Iran, of course, Israeli concerns with regard to the region, and uh, there was uh, an exchange of words on this matter. Yes, but if I tell you, Jonathan, I'm concerned about Iran, and then I issue a statement 
I uh, told Jonathan of my concern about Indeed. Iran, it doesn't mean that they really went uh, into the uh, subject matter. Uh, this is going uh, through the motions. The administration doesn't have an Iran policy yet, of course. We all know what they said beforehand. But as of now, there is no uh, policy yet. And obviously, we have to wait until late March or early April before we see any movement, unless the Iranians provoke something in order to push their uh, agenda item uh, into a higher priority. Ambassador Ayalon, I'd like to refer the next question to you, actually. As you know personally, also the newly appointed CIA director, you've uh, uh, known many of the people in the, the Biden administration. Uh, and thus, uh, when you look at those different people, to what degree do you think uh, that they are quite keen or, or understanding of uh, the complexities of this region at this stage four years after the Obama administration has left uh, office? Well, I would say they certainly benefit from the experience of the last uh, four years. And I think uh, the major surprise in the last uh, six months of the Trump administration with the uh, normalization and uh, peace treaties between Israel and four um, Arab countries. Uh, and of course, uh, behind the scenes, uh, the, uh, the very close ties between uh, Jerusalem and Riyadh, I would say, adds a lot to their uh, perspective and also gives them more cards when they look into the future. There is no uh, question that they would like to um, come back to the JCPOA in one way or another. This was a campaign uh, um, uh, statement of uh, President uh, Biden and all the team that actually that he uh, put together also suggests uh, going uh, that way. Of course, the question is on on what uh, terms. And, uh, and here, I think that they will find a united front, Israel and the uh, Arab countries, the Gulf countries, um, of uh, toughening the uh, hand towards, uh, towards uh, Iran. And here the question is, um, and, and there is an, a going, I would say, discussion, internal discussion, in the, um, the Israeli defense uh, apparatus, I'm sure uh, Amir Oren uh, could elaborate more, whether to put the crux again on the nuclear issues. Uh, that means to leave aside at this point the uh, ballistic uh, uh, testing, the ballistic missiles and the terror sponsored by Iran and just focus all the attention on the nuclear life, for instance, to do away with the sunset clause and uh, so on and so forth, or to push everything together and also um, enlarge the scope of the JCPOA, also to include uh, stopping the subversion by Iran of the countries in the region and, of course, stopping their uh, uh, ballistic testing. Um, and, and I think that what more they will have to take into consideration, and uh, that is that uh, if there is no progress on the um, Iran issue, that is, returning to the same exact um, agreement as before, then I think Israel will start, uh, I would say, rocking its boots on the ground, also suggesting or bring back the option of, um, of uh, attack on the nuclear installations, or at least the bottlenecks, a few of them, uh, that will be coming back to the, uh, to the table.
Well, all options are definitely on the table from what I hear, but I'd like to ask Mr. Silverman, actually, uh, in reference to another country in the region that uh, is very wary about a Biden administration coming into office and now uh, uh, with uh, the various appointments uh, being uh, put into place uh, a little bit, uh, giving an indication of its uh, expected course of action. Turkey, you've dealt with Turkey in the past uh, in your uh, various positions. Uh, uh, you have uh, worked very close, closely with uh, Jim Jeffrey also, who uh, uh, was an envoy to uh, the region many years, and, and you're, you're personally also fluent in Turkish, among others. But I, I'd like to ask you specifically, to what degree should Turkey be concerned right now with regard to the Biden administration? And... Uh, is this now going to be translated uh, beyond the attempts of rapprochement with uh, the European Union, with, of course, uh, Israel and other countries in the region? Is this now going to also indicate a shift of foreign policy in Ankara? I think Turkey uh, will be a real challenge for this administration. And uh, it's an opportunity as well, because uh, everyone is a difficult person to work with. Everyone agrees with that. Uh, he is uh, going. He wins elections in Turkey, and he doesn't face a new one for another couple of years. So he will be there, and uh, he had a relatively good time with uh, President Trump. They they uh, got along pretty well. Uh, I think we have to look at the entire region and Turkey's role throughout the region. There are places where uh, the U.S., Israel, others can work very closely with Turkey. In places where in Syria, uh, we see Turkey um, playing a positive role in uh, pushing back against uh, Russian influence there. Um, the Turkish role in Idlib province means that the attempt by uh, Russia and Iran to to complete conquest, frankly, of, of uh, Syria uh, will have uh, a problem, an obstacle in the, in the Turkish military presence there. So in, in places like Syria, you see Turkey playing a positive role. Um, in Libya, a negative role, frankly. Um, so it, you take it piece by piece. You find the area where you can work with Turkey. And it's a, manage, a relationship to be managed, frankly, from perspective. It is a NATO ally. It's the second largest troop contributor to NATO. However, at the same time, uh, Turkey uh, definitely, under Erdogan, wants to show its independence of NATO, has bought a, so, a Russian uh, air defense system that has uh, dropped, caused it to drop out of the F-35 program. So it's a, it's a relationship to be managed, but it's not. And I would also say, looking in the future, that Erdogan uh, is not always Turkey. Turkey has as a big country... Uh, a democracy. He can and has elections there, particularly at the local level. And so I think we have, we'll have to look beyond Erdogan at, at the strategic importance of Turkey going forward. But in the meantime, it's a relationship to be managed. Indeed. Mr. Owen, I'd like to bring another country into the picture. Uh, we already established some references to Saudi Arabia, but we, we didn't bring Egypt into the picture. Of course, Egypt uh, is crucial for Israel's security. Uh, it has uh, 
pretty much uh, uh, shown its uh, capability to keep relative quiet, also in the Sinai Peninsula, where uh, Wilayat Sina, the, the uh, Sinai offshoot of the Islamic State, has uh, been killing uh, for years now, since uh, 2014, of course, uh, when uh, Ansar Bet al-Magdis at the time uh, decided to pledge allegiance to Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the slain leader of uh, uh, Daesh. How do you see all of this uh, actually influencing decision-making in Jerusalem with regard to Egypt or uh, also in, in Cairo uh, versus Jerusalem? The most important thing to be said about Israeli national security and foreign policy is that it is not proactive. It is only responsive to crisis uh, when those happen. For the last uh, two and a half years, Israel has been involved in a political crisis, a domestic political crisis. There has not been a stable government. This is the fourth election campaign that uh, the various uh, parties and politicians are fighting. And no one has the attention span needed to formulate a proactive, assertive, visionary uh, foreign policy that awaits the uh, formation of a new and hopefully uh, stable government. Nevertheless, a stable government in Jerusalem could take a very long period of time. And, and uh, as we saw during the, the tenure of uh, the uh, Trump administration, they ended up dealing with both sides, as you said, when they invited them. But also during the incumbent period, they had the opportunity of formulating various uh, plans that uh, brought fruit to uh, uh, peace in Jerusalem and, and other aspects as well. Well, one, one can argue whether it's really peace, whether these uh, normalization, normalization. Act, right. uh, whether they, they really upgraded uh, the uh, relationship which has been uh, taking place uh, under a very thin veneer of uh, uh, denial. Um, the, the only, the, or one of the only achievements up to now is that some 600 Israelis who flew to Dubai um, have come back uh, with COVID-19. Um, but, uh, but this it does not mean that Israel should not have normalized uh, its relations with the uh, uh, Emirates um, and others, which, by the way, was... Uh, an Emirati initiative uh, which the Trump administration responded to and which Israel uh, has uh, paid its part in by shelving or freezing uh, the annexation. But let's go back to Egypt. Um, Egypt is very important to Israel and Israel is going to plead Egypt's case on Capitol Hill and elsewhere because we know that uh, the uh, key figures in the Biden administration are human rights minded. They are going to make life very tough for President Sisi, even though they should also understand the constraints he has been operating under. One positive sign is that during the um, Austin uh, confirmation hearing, the Secretary of Defense, who has been confirmed uh, since, he was asked, about the multinational force and observers in the Sinai. And uh, even though uh, several of his predecessors, starting with Donald Rumsfeld uh, some 20 years ago, uh, have tried to cut back 
uh, either entirely or, or almost entirely the American contribution to the MFO, um, not because of uh, budgetary uh, problems, but because it's uh, an infantry battalion, which they need somewhere else. General Austin reassured Israel and Egypt and others, the other contributing countries, that there is not going to be any cutback, even though this is a favorite target for ISIS in the Sinai. All right, well, we only have only three minutes at this stage uh, till the end of the program. So I'd like to give each and every one of you just a, a closing sentence, if you will. Uh, uh, Mr. Silverman, we'll start with you. Sure. Uh, there is an opportunity here with this new administration, because the new administration has a difficult relationship with Saudi Arabia. It signaled in the campaign and then more recently that it wants a reassessment of its relations with Saudi Arabia because it's very human rights oriented. Now, Saudi Arabia knows that Israel has a very good relationship with the United States. I mean, Israel has, and Ambassador Ayalon has been a big part of this, uh, cultivated partisan approach uh, to the U.S. that is now paying off. Indeed. So I think Saudi Arabia has ever more reason before to get close to Israel, to expand this Abraham Accords, which uh, behind the scenes has been the main partner of. So there's an opportunity here, uh, given the, uh, the interesting relationship between the Biden administration and Saudi Arabia, and let's hope that uh, that brings Israel and Saudi Arabia closer. Plenty of opportunities indeed, Ambassador Ayalon. Yes, I would say it. Uh, you were very right to uh, focus also on uh, key players in the region, which are not Iran. Of course, Iran is its own uh, file, but uh, looking into Turkey and Egypt uh, is also very important. Uh, Egypt, uh, I believe, uh, needs Israel now more than ever. It was mentioned about uh, uh, the ties with the administration uh, on the background of uh, human rights, but also uh, Egypt and Turkey, and uh, Egypt and uh, the Nile um, Dam that uh, um, um, Ethiopia is uh, working on, uh, puts uh, Egypt in a very, very vulnerable position. And Israel here can be um, a um, strategic help, either vis-a-vis -vis Ethiopia and, uh, and other countries. I would say Turkey, also one issue which is very, very important, and maybe also this is a good reason for the administration to reach out to NATO first, is that um, Cyprus and uh, Greece are actually uh, bracing for more um, aggressive attitude by Turkey in the eastern uh, basin of Indeed. the Mediterranean in relation to the uh, uh, gas, uh, the natural uh, gas fields. So all these together put... Uh, a very, very, I would say, explosive tapestry for uh, the administration to deal with. And we will continue to observe and, and report on uh, the latest developments, of course. Unfortunately, uh, there is no time for your analysis, uh, Amir, but I'm, I'll be sure to ask later. Uh, I'd like to thank Mr. Silverman, Ambassador Ayalon, and Mr. Owen for joining us today. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.